0: Happy Friday, Story Fam! I hope you're having a stellar week so far and that you and yours have managed to avoid the worst of hurricane slash tropical storm Nicholas. Most of us dodged a bullet, but I know it was bad for some in and around Houston, so hope y'all are okay. Listen, before jumping into this week's Friday Grace and Truth Reflection, I'd like to give a brief update on the story's big move that's going to be happening sometime before the end of this year. First, I just want to thank all of you who've been praying for the process and um, sharing your ideas with us about where we should go and reaching out to Gio and I and and other leaders at the story just to offer a word of encouragement. And all of your emails and texts and phone calls and prayers have just meant so much to us, to the whole staff at the story, as well as our advisory board members. We are so grateful. Second, um, we all need to be sure and thank the faithful members of St. Luke's UMC who have loved and supported the story so generously from the word go. Whenever I stop to remember all the ways that St. Luke's members have surrounded my family, uh, my wife, my kids, and I, since we moved to Houston in 2014, and all the ways that they've contributed to the story's mission over the years, um, gratitude just overwhelms my heart, honestly. So if you know any St. Luke's members personally, be sure to send them a word of appreciation on the story's behalf, for all their years of sacrifice and support and love. It just, who knows, the kingdom impact they've made through the story uh, since 2015 when we began. So wherever the story goes from here, and however long the Lord gives us, uh, we will be forever indebted to the kind and faithful believers of St. Luke's UMC. And third, since late May, when St. Luke's Church Council passed a resolution uh, declaring that the story's time at 3471 Westheimer will be over on December 31st. We have been searching feverishly in the area for facilities that could potentially be a good fit for our church. We've considered over 20 properties um, ranging from small office buildings and art studios to school buildings and vacant churches, and we have physically walked through about a dozen of them By the grace of God, we have several exciting prospects before us. Our leaders are in talks with a local school right now. Uh, We are absolutely in love with the local art gallery space that's available, and we have a deal on the table for a short-term lease on a beautiful church building that has been vacant since 2020. All in all, this has been a very promising and very energizing process, and I cannot wait to see where God decides to send us. One factor that has delayed the process is our ongoing conversation with the United Methodist denomination. The story's advisory board members, including Giovanna and I, have been in contact with UMC officials to determine what exactly it would mean for the church to remain United Methodist beyond December 31st. Among other things, we know that remaining United Methodist would certainly mean that the story would need to seek the approval of a district committee on church location before signing a lease on a new property. It is also quite likely that if our new location is too close in proximity to any other United Methodist congregations, the district committee would not approve the story's relocation. So that adds a wrinkle, not going to lie. And with all of this in mind, and because most members of our River Oaks campus live in River Oaks or West University, in Montrose, the Museum District, Bel Air, and the Galleria area, all of which have United Methodist congregations in them already, Our advisory board has also begun to explore the possibility of affiliating with other denominations. Our desire would be to avoid more painful disruption and heartache for story folks and families who have already been blindsided by the decision on the part of St. Luke's Church Council. Now, among our criteria for selecting a new denomination are, one, conviction about the unique role of Jesus as Lord and Savior, two, a high view of Scripture, Three, no trust clause, which means the local church owns their property instead of it being owned by the institution or the denomination. And four, of course, we need the ordination of women clergy. That's very important to us for obvious reasons. So that is where things currently stand today. Please keep your eyes peeled and your ears open because we will soon be announcing the dates of our mid-October Story Church town hall meetings, where we will discuss these issues in greater detail as a family. In the meantime, please keep the prayers and encouragement coming. And finally, should you feel led by God's Spirit to make a special gift to the story during these uncertain days, please reach out to us directly by email at pastorsatthestory.church. Pastorsatthestory.church. Your generosity would be so appreciated, especially in times like these. All right, let's get to this week's reflection. It's based on this question. How is it fair that a serial killer or child abuser who repents on his deathbed will receive the same reward as a lifelong Christian who lived a good, honest life? All right, that's the question. And this brilliant question was one of the runners-up in our Ask Me Anything online survey from last week. And the best way that I can think of to address this question is with my favorite parable from Jesus. It's really a question about who deserves what. And why do good people not get better things from God, you know, and and all of that kind of meritocracy that we so easily get ourselves into. And in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told this story about a vineyard that really gets to the heart of the matter. And it is my favorite parable of all his wonderful parables. Jesus said in Matthew 20, there was a landowner who was looking for workers in his vineyard. So he went out into the city at 6 a.m. in the morning to find some help. And this was pretty common. Many people in Jesus's audience would have been day laborers who went out in the town squares every morning, hoping to be picked up for that day's work. The landowner picked up a group of workers, and these would be the first round draft picks, right? The cream of the crop, the overachievers, the most capable workers. He offered them all a denarius, Jesus said, which was a coin that was considered a fair wage for a day's work. And so they all hopped in the back of the vineyard owner's truck and went to work. Three hours later, at 9 a.m., the owner went back out into the city to find more workers. And he found some other guys who were just okay, right? They weren't the first-round talent, but they had some skills. And instead of a denarius, what he said was, I will pay you guys whatever is right to come and work the rest of the day in my vineyard. They all agreed and hopped in the truck. He did the same thing. At noon, and the same exact thing at 3 p.m., two more shifts of bringing workers into the vineyard, offering to pay them whatever was right. The more workers that he brought in, the less skilled and valuable they seemed to be. Uh, And when the vineyard owner went out at 5 p.m. to bring in one more round of workers for the last hour of work in the day, the workday, you can probably imagine what kind of guys were left. You know, they were the guys who just didn't look right. Their clothes didn't fit right. Maybe they were disabled or missing a limb or clearly hobbled in some way. Or, or maybe one of them was cross-eyed or maybe they reeked of whiskey. You know, the 5 p.m. crew was not the first-round draft picks. They were the opposite of the cream of the crop, whatever that is. But, but the vineyard owner promises to pay them whatever is right. And so what choice do they have, right? They're not getting better offers. So they hop, hopped in and headed to the vineyard. An hour later at 6 p.m., it was quitting time. The landowner asked his foreman to line them up, starting with the last group, the 5 p.m. scrubs, who only worked for an hour. And behind them were the 3 p.m. guys, and then the nooners behind them, and then the 9 a.m. crew, and then the first round draft picks, the 6 a.m. team at the end of the line, exhausted after working their 12-hour shift. The foreman thanked the guys uh, who were the 5 p.m. crew for their help. And then he paid each of them a denarius, a coin, a full day's wage, just for one hour of work. And so the tension in the story here is, as you can imagine, the surprise that the others standing in line must have felt as they start doing the math in their heads, like this guy's paying a denarius per hour, a full day's wage for only one hour of work. Well, I worked three hours. That's three days' wages. We work six hours. That's six days' wages. We work nine hours. That's nine days' wages. And believe me, that 6 a.m. crew is ecstatic. I mean, they're starting to text their wives, like, throw on something pretty, baby. We're going out tonight. They're getting excited, right? But then the foreman thanks the 3 p.m. guys and starts to pay each of that crew a denarius, too. The same amount as the 5 p.m. losers right even though they worked three times as long he did the same thing with the nooners the same thing with the 9 a.m. crew and then finally with the 6 a.m. crew the same thing thank you for your help today here's your daily wage one denarius and the guys in the 6 p.m. crew just they couldn't believe it right like their excitement turns to anger pretty quick especially especially the 6 a.m. crew but really all of them they just they cry out this isn't fair we worked longer and harder than anyone Out here, we are entitled to more compensation than the rest of these guys, especially the 5 p.m. freeloaders. Now, it's lost on many of us how easy it is to live with that frame of mind. When life has been pretty good to you, you know, when you're born in the greatest country in the history of the world, go America. (laughs) When you've been relatively comfortable since day one of your life, you've never had, you know, the diseases they used to get like on the Oregon Trail dysentery and smallpox and the like, <laughs> whenever you got the flu, the doctor didn't you know, show up with a bottle of leeches to lash onto you. You know, you had good health care, probably got a good education. you probably got a family that loves you. There's never been some rival tribe across the river from you threatening to cut your head off and take your wife and kids as slaves. Like 2021 in Houston, Texas is complicated, but it's a pretty good life relative to other people's lives, right? But when your life has been a little too easy for a little too long, you kind of start to think like you're entitled to the comfortable life that you have. The only logical conclusion really is that those who don't enjoy the same level of comfort that you do don't deserve it like you do. And religion, if you're religious, it can complicate the matter even further and make you feel more entitled because you start to think that maybe you're, you, the reason your life is so comfortable is because... God looks after good church-going people like you and makes you comfortable because you're good. You see how this works? And this seems to be precisely the kind of thinking that Jesus is trying to warn against with this parable in Matthew 20. Just because you're a good Christian, you go to church, you're a decent person, compared to other people that you know, it doesn't mean you deserve anything more from God than anyone else does. He's God, right? So, so who are we to dictate the terms? <laughs> Here in this negotiation, it's not a negotiation. He's God. So, being a Christian isn't about earning credits, it's about the privilege of knowing God. That's the key. The reward of working for God isn't the payday at the end, it's being with God forever. It's having a purpose in his vineyard instead of just feeling aimless in the town square. Salvation in Christ is really not about getting what you deserve. Salvation in Christ is realizing you never deserved anything in the first place. And everything you have in this life is grace. All of it. Every good thing in your life is a free gift that you did nothing to deserve. Even some of the stuff that we complain about is just grace. All the dishes we have to do in the sink. Oh my gosh, I have to do the dishes. No, no. The proper response to a sink full of dishes If you're at home right now, just just go to the dishes after this and say, "Oh my goodness, I have dishes." Yes. Think about all the stuff we complain about. How entitled we must sound to the heavens when we complain. Oh my goodness, I have to go to work. Oh my goodness, I'm so sick of my car. Oh my goodness, could the Wi-Fi be any slower? (laughs) Right. I've talked to so many people who used to be Christians and and no longer are, frankly, because. At some point along the way, they prayed for something to happen and it never did, and so then they decided that God must not be real or God must not be good. And some of it is kind of petty, honestly, but some of it is legit. You know, like when somebody they love got cancer and they asked God to take the cancer away, but he didn't and they died. I understand that kind of crisis of faith, but I also see how it's born out of this deeper sense of entitlement that we're all swimming in. The assumption here is, We all deserve to live long, happy, cancer-free lives, and we all deserve to have God at our beck and call, pretty much. But when you study a story like the one Jesus told in Matthew 20, the question isn't just why do 38% of the population get cancer? The more interesting question is, why don't we all have cancer? Why do 62% of us never get cancer? What have we done to deserve no cancer? It's a miracle. The things that we complain about are so often grace in disguise, you know. Death itself could be described as grace, in a sense, because if someone dies, it means they got to live. And there's no good reason why any of us should be entitled to live, other than grace. So the question isn't, why do people have to die? The better question is, why does anyone get to live? I think Jesus is saying the key to real joy and freedom is realizing that no one, including God, ever owed you a thing. You're not entitled to anything and neither am I. And yet God has given us everything and every single thing is grace. So instead of complaining about who gets what and why they get that and we get this, and Jesus is really compelling us with this story to, to wake up every morning and give thanks, being joyful and saying things like, I have dishes, I have a car, I have a job, I have Wi-Fi. I am alive. I am working in God's vineyard. And I don't care what the paycheck is, because I'm alive and I'm with God. And that's all that matters. That's it for this week, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you on Sunday at the Sorry Church. I can't wait. Bye everybody.